It is the fifth month, and we are introducing the fifth chapter. It's all going according to plan. Our text will be found in the first 20 verses, Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. We welcome every single one of you here um, this morning. If you are visiting with us, a special welcome to you. Um, what a delight it is to be together um, in the Lord's house. April showers bring May showers. I think that's the way it goes. Five years ago, this very weekend, um, Prince William married Princess Kate. Osama bin Laden was shot, and I preached my first message as your pastor of Big Woods Bible Church. Five years. It, it, only, it only seems like 20, 25 years. It's crazy. Let, let me say um, it is a privilege uh, to be your shepherd, and um, I love this church. I love you. I love what God is doing in our midst. And I am humbled. I appreciate. I am so grateful for your grace that you have shown me um, and your patience and the love that you have shown me and my, my family. We are humbled to be serving alongside. We, we need to go into this text and we need God's help. Uh, it is a heavy text. In all honesty, it is a dark text. But there is amazing light that we see um, the work of Jesus as we move, is what I call it, from bondage to blessing. Uh, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we come into your presence our heads are bowed and we acknowledge your authority over us. We acknowledge that you are sovereign, that you reign and rule over everyone and everything. Uh, Father, we are, as we just sang, as Matt just led us, we are amazed at your sovereign grace. We thank you, Lord, that you, that you created us, you formed us, and that, Lord, you loved us enough to offer your own son to suffer and die in a place that we deserve. Father, we thank you that there is hope through the work and through the blood and through the cross of Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name that we come before you. And we ask, Lord, for you in a very unique way, perhaps even separate or distinct from any other Sunday, that the Holy Spirit would be unleashed in our midst. Lord, my, my heart, my, my cry of my heart is for those that perhaps who are listening to this message at this very moment are ensnared, are in chains of bondage. God, I would ask that you would free as only, only you can. I pray, Lord, for the community you've called us to be a part of. I think of my brothers in this community who stand in pulpits and preach the truth of the gospel, equip them and empower them. God, as I ask that you would do the same for me. Thank you for this body. Thank you for the, the foundational truth of the gospel that we do everything 
from that. Father, may, may you have your perfect will with us accomplished. May we be softened clay in the potter's hands. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah of all mankind, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, um, we intro chapter 5. So where have we been in, in the previous chapter? We have seen kind of um, woven all the way through chapter 4 a central theme of the importance, the responsibility that you have um, when you hear the word of God that I have, when I hear. Um, and, and Jesus, very clearly, it's almost as if he is a parent. And, and moms and dads, you know that when you go to one of your children and you take both of your hands and you put them on their cheeks and you draw them in close and you look at them right in the eyes and you say, listen to me as I'm talking to you. Okay, that, that, that is in a sense exactly what Jesus is doing all the way through chapter 4. Four times in chapter 4 he says this, listen. If you have ears, hear. He says, pay attention to what you hear. And then he repeats it. If you have ears, then hear this. We have learned that what this, this word, Jesus uses parables to teach us is what? It, it, it's seed. It's to, to be heard and received upon fertile soil that produces fruit. This word is light. That light does one thing. We hear it and we illuminate the darkness around us. But Jesus has been teaching. We saw last week that after he was done teaching, he, he, he took his disciples and said that we're going to go to the other side, Sea of Galilee, the other side of, of the lake. And, and as they were heading to the other side, there was a big bad storm that, that, that got stirred up. And the disciples, even, even with Jesus right in the boat, the disciples are terrified that they're going to drown, that they're going to die. And they cry out to Jesus. And I love these words as he was asleep in the stern of the boat. He's right there. He's in complete peace. We know that Jesus awakes and it says that he rebukes the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. And, and the tumultuous sea, as the waves were crashing over the boat, and the boat was filling up in their belly, it, it becomes like glass. Why? Because there is one. There is only one who has all authority. Jesus demonstrates absolute authority over the forces of nature. Now, as we introduce chapter 5, we'll see that Jesus, in absolute authority, demonstrates what power over the forces of evil. And it is evil in the very essence and extent of that Follow, follow along as I read Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, down through verse 20. If you have ears, please hear. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of garrisons. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and 
chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirits. Jesus asked him, What, what is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Verse 13. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowns in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in, in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone, everyone marveled. The, the gospel of Mark is just, it is one constant highlight reel of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now, as I began to examine this text, one of the first things that came to me, and it just, it just, it just rises to the surface, is it, where are the disciples here? Think about that. The disciples have been everywhere with Jesus the entire time. All of the teaching, all of the, the time that has been invested, all the following, and there's little to no mention other than the fact that they were present and that was it. Now, if you recall, the disciples hadn't even got dried off yet. They had not been a little bit shook up, okay? They probably were in shock having just come through this storm and it says that they're terrified at the little glimpse of God's glory that they were able to witness. No, no sooner had, had they stepped onto terra firma that what literally running at them, rushing at them, 
screaming, is a demon-possessed man. Now, I'm thinking like, like the mind of a disciple is the mind of a follower of Jesus because that's who we are. What, what, what would the disciples have done? What have been their response? They just came through the storm. They witnessed God's glory. They step onto the ground and rushing at them. Do they just automatically, instinctively, like, move closer to Jesus? Like, yeah, we're, we're with him. We're with him. Do they grab hold of him like a scared child with their parent? Just hold on to their hand? We're, we're, what, what is it? Or do they do what probably some of us just start crying? Like, this is just way out of my league. I just don't know what to do here. Did they, did they whisper and mutter under the breath? Now what? Now what? This is the extent. This is, this is where it starts, okay? By way of the record of the disciples, chapter 5, verse 1, they. That's it. That's all we have. Okay, they're there, and there is no other reference the entire time. They, they what? They... They came to the other side. Well, Jesus said they were going to make it to the other side. He didn't say it was going to be like smooth sailing. But they just get, they just get there. And they realize that what? Yeah, with this guy running at him, they realize that in and of ourselves, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, in ourselves, like, we have nothing. The disciples are realizing here, like, yeah, we, we, we can do nothing here. It's, it's like you or me. If you were completely scrubbed for surgery and for some reason you were brought into an operating room standing next to a skilled heart surgeon and you're in your little scrubs and, and on the table is a patient and, and they open up his chest and you see beating his heart right in front of you. And then the surgeon looks at you and says, so what do you think we should do next? What, what would you, well, I would, uh, yeah, I got nothing. I have nothing here. Same idea, the disciples, they, they recognize and realize they are silent. They're just alongside. An amazing, wonderful reminder that, you know what? We got nothing other than what? Being close alongside. You see, the entire scene centers on the only one who's got something. The entire picture, the entire narrative. It says what? Jesus stepped out of the boat. Remember, the, the, the entire gospel of Mark is all about Jesus. Here is Jesus. He is perfect. He is without sin. He's, he's perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, without spots, without blemish. And if you pick up, where, where is he doing this ministry? They got to the other side. Well, do you know what's on the other side? Do you know where they are? A place that is absolutely dominated by Gentiles. Jews would what? Consider Gentiles in the place of Gentiles unclean. But Jesus is there. They're actually at, at a graveyard, a place of tombs, a place of dead bodies. Dead bodies are considered what? Unclean. But, but Jesus is there. They're in a countryside that is surrounded. There's 2,000 pigs. Pigs are considered unclean. And yet Jesus is there doing 
ministry. The place is absolutely vile. Have you been near a pig farm before? It does not smell good. And yet here, here comes Jesus. Here comes the holy to meet the unholy. Here, here is a collision of kingdoms. Light meets darkness. Heaven contends with hell. Do you realize that when we are alongside of Jesus, that's exactly what we are called to do, where we're called to go. I so appreciate the ministry that Jenny's sharing, going into areas of darkness. I love the term to take the ground back. Four things I want to give you this morning. The first one is this. When you think of this man, you think of this, this, this narrative, the story before us, the first first point is this. This is a man who is enslaved in bondage. He is enslaved in bondage. I want you to write in parentheses right next to that, the plight of man. This, this one is enslaved in bondage. Well, guess what? That's the, that's the plight we're all in. That's the problem we all have. Here it is, Mark. As he listens to Peter is the one retelling the story that he's recording. Mark seems unusually detailed. A man generally of few words, and yet he's amazingly descriptive of this particular man and how he comes out to him. And it begins with the fact that he, he dwelt among the tombs. He lived in a graveyard. All right, already I'm kind of messed up with that. That already terrifies me. What's he hanging around? What are, you, what are you sleeping in and living in a graveyard for? I'm not a scary movie kind of a guy. Already this just messes me up. That's, that's what. And in addition to him just living in a graveyard, it says that he has shackles and chains dangling from around his neck, from around his wrists and ankles. By way of some supernatural strength, he has literally been breaking the chains that, that, that people have attempted to try to control him. So he's rattling with chains as he races up towards them in the middle of a graveyard, screaming and crying. He is hurting himself. He is cutting himself, which means he is covered in blood, in dirt, in his own filth. Listen to this. No one could bind him anymore. He wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Do you know what kind of strength that is? We got some big boys, okay? We got a, we got a Scott Heckman in our church or a Nate Geralds in our church. There's some big boys. They're not snapping chains. Look at how it's described. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, he was crying and cutting himself with stones. This is terrifying. And it's terrible. This is, this is the picture of a man who is totally, totally taken over and controlled completely by demonic forces. This is not a, a pestering of. This is not an oppressiveness. This is a possession it is spiritual bondage. It is captivity to the nth degree. It is scary. And yet, in all honesty, it's very sad at the same point. It's, it's pitiful and pathetic. 
this, this man at one point, and we'll see this in scripture, at one point had friends around him. Jesus later says, what, you go talk to your friends. At one point, he probably had a family. Because he's enslaved, he is what? He's in the bondage of the enemy. He is totally isolated, totally alone. Probably at one point, he had a home, he had a house, and and now he lives what? He lives as an animal. In, in violence and in bloodshed. Everything that once was is gone. He is a prisoner. He's not just influenced. He is under complete control, held captive in bondage. His spiritual invaders are real, and they are relentless. I think what happens is it's quite easy for us to sit here this morning, and you are dressed up, you brush your teeth and you come to church and you sit here and it's, it's really easy for us to kind of distance ourselves from the horror of this particular scene. But please, please understand, before you, you kind of turn your head from it, before you wince or, or close your eyes, I want you to understand that that man is a picture. It is a real life, real time picture of all humanity apart from God. The destruction. Out of control. It is a picture of all humanity out of control. His life is really not that different from the lives of many people. Who, who live, what, controlled by hate or greed or lust or anger, controlled or enslaved. There, there are ones in our world today who can kidnap young teenage girls and brainwash them to the place that they were, strap a bomb on themselves and walk into a crowded cafe and detonate themselves. That there is there's hate that is even beyond how like how does that happen? How can there be that much evil? And yet there are individuals that sit in our very midst at this moment who are enslaved in lust, in in a constant greed, in insatiable hunger. I want more, I want more, I want more, and you're never satisfied. Just because we're not naked and screaming on the outside doesn't mean that we're not doing that on the insides. We have to understand that. Many today in our world are as equally tormented, caught, they're caught in the addictions, violence, insatiable, insatiable appetites that that we have in our sin-filled nature that yearn for and ache for. And there's, there's a longing for something that many people are reaching and grasping and it, and it can't be reached. And they live in absolute misery. I read just this week from the National Vital Statistics System that, that we have reached in our country the highest level of suicide rates than we have in the past decades People living with what? 
under such duress, such pain, that there is no other escape for them, they think, than to, to take their own life and to kill themselves. That, that, is, that is what sin does as we are, what? In bondage, live in captivity. We all know, I, I, I literally heard this past week that more people have overdosed from drugs in 2015 than at any other time in the history of our country. That more people have what? Tried to, to put something in their body that perhaps can numb them, that can give them a little bit to make it a little bit further, and it's not enough. And so they add more and more and more. And what happens as a result of that? This is a perfect description of what Satan's ultimate goal is, and that is to bring destruction into the lives as many people as possible. Paul writes like this in Ephesians chapter 2 when he describes Satan and the tactics and the goal. He, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sun's of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's, that's Satan's goal. That's the destruction. That's his tactic. We see what the picture of how sin captures us or enslaves us or traps us. Solomon writes it like this in Proverbs chapter 5. The iniquities or the sins of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his own sin. That's what happens. Galatians 6, Paul writes, what if anyone is caught or is ensnared, there's that word again, in sin, then what? Then you who are spiritual, go to them in a spirit of gentleness, of meekness. That's the role that we play as ones who know the truth, understand the truth. Now, as dark as the first couple verses of Ephesians chapter 2 is, look, look at how it continues on in verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. That one little word, but... As dark as it is, as destructive as it may be, but God. That little word offers such hope. Yeah, the tests, the tests are back. And it's cancerous. But it's operable. And you're going to be fine. That, that one little word offers such a there, there is a horrible accident. Your son was in a horrible accident. But He's okay. He's okay. He's going to be fine. There's such hope in that word. That's exactly what is offered. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Look at this. Listen to this. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus offers here. 
back to the narrative, we see that this man's name, Jesus asks him. He knows his name. He says, so what, what's your name? Legion? Because we are many. And we see immediately that as he comes before him in Matthew 8, we see the same term, Mark 5, Luke chapter 8. All the, the demons are begging Jesus not to cast them into the abyss, not to cast them in the deep. They know what's coming. They know what's in store for them. And they, they are in absolute torment. And yet it's still torture for them to, to not be able to torture others. That's, that's the extent and severity of the enemy. Not only do we see this man enslaved in bondage, secondly, we see him confronted with authority. Confronted with authority. In parentheses, I want you to write these words, the work of Jesus. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus, he ran and he fell down. The word is proskunio. It, it means to submit or to sur surrender. This man runs up to Jesus, and it says that he falls down before him. And you say, wait a minute, this guy is demon-possessed. He is screaming, he is bloodied, he's terrifying others. And he immediately recognizes the one in authority. Let me, let me ask you very clearly, who's, who's in charge of this whole scene? Who's, who's the one calling the shots here? There's a particular phrase I want to draw your attention to. It is, it's a little phrase, but it is so full. It is so rich. It is so worthy of our attention. It ought to drive us to our knees. And force, force our mouths to open to tell of God's goodness and grace. The, the demons are begging. Literally, they're begging Jesus. Please don't send us out out of the country. Don't send us to that place that we know. They're begging, send us to the pigs. What? These, these unclean spirits have, in a sense, an orthodox theology that knows who's in charge. They know their own demise. Begging Jesus. Look what it says in verse 13. So he gave them permission. Wait, wait, no one's been able to, to bind this guy. No one's been able to control this guy. And this one falls on its knees, and Jesus is the one in complete authority, the full and final authority of Jesus. Understand, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus is the Redeemer, if Jesus is the one who will crush the serpent's heads, then he must, he must demonstrate authority over the forces, darkness, the kingdom of darkness. We see this man enslaved in bondage. We see him confronted with authority. Thirdly, we see him freed by grace. Freed by grace. In parentheses, I want you to write this, the gift of salvation. That's what Jesus does. The entire, the entire theme, the book of Mark, all the way through the Gospels. It, it depicts that Jesus is one who comes and he offers freedom. He liberates. You ever hear of, of the term um, B24? B20, not like bingo, not that B24. 
I'm a history. I enjoy reading history and and I fascinating. I think the, the greatest generation, our grandparents who fought and many of them died in World War II. I think it was one of the greatest times of our own country. And 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 there was there was an aircraft, an airplane. It was built in San Diego, California, and it was called the B twenty four. Had a high cruising speed and, and it could it could go for long ranges and, and it had an amazing ability to carry a, a heavy load of bombs. It was devastating. It was used by every single one of the branches of our own military. Other countries were actually buying our allies were buying them from us and were selling them and the B twenty four, you got a problem down there, they would bring in the B twenty four and it was it was called the Liberator. The B-24 Liberator. Why? Because with devastating force and unmatched power, you got a problem on the ground, the enemy is getting out, then what? You bring in the Liberator. That's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. Jesus steps onto the shore, and in this scene, he is and always will be in total control. You, you don't know what you're going to have for breakfast in the morning. And yet Jesus is always and will always be in total control. He alone is master. He alone is king. Jesus said what? Come out of the man, you unclean spirits. He speaks. It's just words. Why? Because there is unbelievable power and authority that exists in the word of God. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And we, we know, we know what happens. We know we can read about the calm and complete sense of peace in this man's life for the first time in a long, long time. Jesus frees and liberates and rescues this man. And look at, look at this and, and look at the picture. Listen carefully to the words. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man who had had the legion, many demons. Look at this phrase, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. The, the beauty that only Jesus can bring when he frees and liberates he brings peace. We began the gospel of Mark with the scene of John the Baptist proclaiming what? A baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And John the Baptist says, I, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming who baptizes with the Spirit, in the Spirit. And, and, and John the Baptist sees Jesus coming from afar and he says, behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is what Jesus does. He deals with, he died for, and he takes away our sins and frees us. He liberates us to a place of perfection. Uh, no, not when I look at my own heart and life. Certainly not perfection for us. But he frees us to a place of peace. He frees us to a place of forgiveness of our own sins. 
when, when we surrender, we fall down at the feet of Jesus in every way. He what brings peace from the torment that we find ourselves in, peace from sin's destruction, peace from the penalty of death that we deserve as a result of our sin, an amazing gift of God's sovereign grace. Paul wrote and describes it like this in Romans chapter 8, for the love for excuse me, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He writes to the church of Galatia in chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. And then he exhorts us, stand firm in that. You realize you no longer have to be bound or enslaved. But Christ comes and frees us. Paul writes to the church of Galatia, he says, do not, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go there. How about, how about those people that were witnessing this? They got wind of what happened. They saw the demon-possessed man. They heard about the pigs. 2,000 pigs. Okay, today that's a large farm. Think about how big. And, and there's obviously some kind of hurt economically that takes place here because it says what, Jesus, why don't you just leave? Could you please? Matter of fact, it says that they beg for Jesus to just depart from us, leave us. Isn't it interesting that although Jesus comes in complete authority and liberates us from sin and bondage, there are still some who say, I don't want to hear the name Jesus. Just leave. God, we can talk about. Don't mention Jesus. Jesus is where people get ticked off. Jesus is the one that people don't want around them. And we see that even here. Fourthly and finally, we see what? Instructed to tell. This man is instructed to tell. In parentheses, write these words. The challenge to obey. As Jesus was getting into the boat, I think it's interesting, they just got out of the boat. <laughs> And now they're getting back into the boat. As Jesus is getting into the boat, this man begs Jesus, can I please come with you? Can I be, please be close with you? I, I want to follow you. I, I want to feel your closeness and your protection. And, and Jesus does not grant his request. He, he says what? He says, go home. So he had a home. Go home to your friends. So at one point he had friends. He says, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how, I love this, how he has had mercy on you. Although this man so desperately wanted to be close, he had a job to do and Jesus had other plans for him. Jesus wanted to use this man to be a permanent follower of him in the region of Decapolis. And he returned home. Did he return home kicking the dirt? Well, I didn't get to be with him, so I, I don't want to do... No, no. From what we can tell, he did exactly, and he was obedient to what Jesus requested. A couple chapters later, in Mark chapter 7, it says that Jesus is in that exact region. Jesus is in the Decapolis. As soon as he gets there, they bring to him a man who is, who is deaf and, and, and mute, and they bring this man to Jesus to heal him immediately. How, how did they know? Unless someone told them. 
There's this one who frees. There's this one. When Jesus gets there, that's exactly what he does. He heals. That's what Jesus does for us. He rescues us, redeems us, and heals us, and frees us. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to get a glimpse of this man who moved from bondage to blessing. And it's very, very important for us in closing to understand that perhaps at this moment, you find yourself in bondage, ensnared in sin. Facing destruction, and there's only one. There's only one way. There's only one way. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I would encourage you, I would implore you, fall on your knees before Him who has all and final authority. And if you have done that, and you are here this morning, and you call Him Lord's, of your life and he is your savior then we what and we go and we tell and we tell and we don't stop telling what Jesus has done moving us from bondage to a place of blessing God we love you I love you I, I love your word I thank you for the privilege of of preaching its truth, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would do an amazing work that we would listen and obey for your glory and for yours alone. In Christ's name we pray.